Luke chapter 22, where we'll continue our study today. And uh, I want to just thank you for being attentive. If, if you're going to talk, let's don't talk in here, okay? If you've got something to say, you can slip out and go talk to yourself in the foyer or something out there on the street. But let's don't, let's don't distract anything from their time together. Not because of me, but because of what book I am reading from and the truth that we're sharing is very important. And Luke chapter 22 is where Jesus is now in the last hours of his life uh, on earth uh, before he would die on the cross. We find uh, he committed his love to us in numbers of ways in this passage of scripture. Tonight, I'll be speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What a magnificent chapter of God's word. I won't do it justice, but I hope that you'll read that chapter this afternoon and come today with the cake. We'll try to put some icing on it because that's about all I'll be able to do. It's an amazing passage of Scripture talking about the committed love. And in, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we see that, that our service is enhanced. Uh, the explanation is the meaning of love is given there. And then the eternalized purpose of God is shown to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But it's realized for us in Luke chapter 22 and beyond. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, it opens up where Judas arranges to have Jesus betrayed. He goes to the high priest and uh, he, is, um, he works out that he says, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll find a place. And then when I find a place, then I'll give him to you and you give me the 30 pieces of silver. And here's how I'll do it. And I'll tell you where, but I got to figure it out first. We see that God showed his love to us in his patience and long-suffering, even with people that would betray him. You know, I, I, I heard this week, uh, a few weeks ago in our marriage retreat, that a covenant, a marriage and a husband and wife make a covenant. And that covenant says, I'm going to do my part even if you don't do your part. You know, aren't you glad that God made a covenant with us? When he saved us, we haven't always done our part, but he's done his part. We're kept by the power of God. And the faith, which is in salvation and faith, which is in Christ Jesus. A beautiful thought. But he shows his patience, his love to us by his patience. By the way, you'll show your love to God and others by your long suffering. Your willingness to continue through very difficult, frustrating circumstances. And we find that he did that with Judas. Not only Judas, with, with all the disciples. Then we find here the second thing that comes to our minds. He showed his love through preparation. He told them, he said, look, I want you to go and you're going to find a man with a picture outside the water gate or inside the water gate. When you find that man, ask him if the room is ready. He had already prepared a place for them to gather for that last meal, the Passover meal together, where he would do as we did this morning, take bread and break it and said, this is a type of my body which be broken for you. This drink, this cup, this juice is a type of my blood that will be spilled in just a few hours for your sin and for the sins of the whole world. And he prepared for them. He didn't prepare them just for that. He prepared them for other things we'll see this morning in our passage of Scripture. We also see in this passage of Scripture that he would go through his passion, the difficulties of what would happen as he would prepare for the cross. He, he, uh, he met and prayed with Peter. He said, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith Fail not. You, know, you can prove your love by prayer. You know, prayer is, is a wonderful opportunity that every Christian has. We talk about it, we just don't do it very much. And prayer is something that we learn to show our love to God and others by communication with Him. 
You can't say you love someone if you're not willing to communicate with them. And God wants us to communicate with him through prayer. And we, we communicate our love to others through intercession, prayer for others. And Jesus interceded. He said, you know what? He said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And boy, Peter's a good example of someone who failed but wasn't a failure. Failure is an event, not a person. And we'll see in our passage today that he grievously sinned. He denied the Lord. And uh, Peter, at that point, he did not want to accept his frailty. He said, you know what, I'm ready to go. I don't care. I'm ready to die with you. And he said, Peter, before we hear the crock crow tomorrow morning, before the rooster gets up and perches and begins to, to, to wake us up tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. And just show us this, the frailty of our own flesh. And boy, when you're cocky and arrogant, boy, that's a challenging thing. There's never a man so... Uh, really removed from Satan's attack like a humble man or a woman. Boy, when we get into a prideful state, uh, we're just looking for it. We're asking for satanic attack because that goes right along with him. And we see that, that Peter was, was uh, someone who went through that. Let's look if we can, please. Chapter 22, verse number 34 is where Jesus says to him about that. Let's look at it, verse 34 of uh, Luke 22. And he said, I tell thee, Peter... <clears throat> The, clock, the, crocs, the cock shall not crow this day before thou thrice deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto him, When I sent thee without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said nothing. He's referring back in Luke chapter number 9. Jesus sent the disciples away two different times. One time he sent them away. And they came back with not really much to say. The next time, they said, man, even the demons were subject to us. But when he sent them out, he sent them to the Jewish people. And they knew, because they had the Old Testament laws, if you had strangers, you're supposed to take care of them. And he told them, he said, I want you to go out and say, you won't need to bring any money with you. Wherever you go, just your representations of me and my people will, because of my law, take care of you. You won't lack anything. He said, don't worry about a sword or protection. I'll take care of that as well. But then he says, I want to transition here. That's the way it was then. But he says, now things are going to be a little different. Would you look at the next verse, verse number 36. Then said he unto them, would you read the next two words with me? But now, this is the different. This is a, a, trend, a dispensational change. He that hath a purse, let him take it. If you got some money, bring it with you. And likewise, his script. And he, if you've got a wallet, bring your wallet. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy a sword. For I say unto you that, that this is written, must ye, you must yet be accomplished of me, and he will reckon them among the transgressors. He's quoting a, a passage of scripture in the book of Isaiah. For the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, there are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. It's kind of interesting there. He just, he's talking about now you're going to be going to a Gentile world. Now violence and attack are going to be much more severe against you. And he said, if, if you're going to need money. By the way, is that true today? <laughs> yeah, if you, with our missionaries are there, the reason you could see that beautiful building 
You can hear of three Muslims coming to know Christ their Savior. You can see a pastor and his wife and little baby Ruth there preparing to pastor a church in Gambia. Most of us will never step foot on that soil, but we have an opportunity to make an impact on that soil. And the way we do that is by money. He said, if you've got, you got money, bring your money along. You're going to need it. He said, if you, if you don't have some defense, he said, you might want to sell your coat and buy a sword. Now, once again, he wasn't talking about arming up and, and trying to fight your way through. But he said, sometimes self-defense is going to be what you'll need. And uh, then they said, Lord, we have two swords here. How many disciples were there? Twelve. He said, yeah, two swords. We don't have enough. He said, no, it's enough. By the way, the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. So you don't want to get over to an extreme in the situation. You're not going to the world to fight. You're going to the world to get the gospel out. But you will have some reasons for self-defense and have it moderately ready. And that's kind of what he, I think he told them. It's a different day now. This is getting ready to get, getting, it's getting ready to get wild. It's getting ready to get challenging. And you're going to be, a, you're going to be subject to some defense. I, I got pictures this week of India and the, uh, the, some rebels caught, broke into a church and they began to beat some of our brothers and sisters and and uh, I saw the aftermath of that and blood on their faces and on their heads and wounds on their heads as they laid in hospital rooms because they, for no other reason, but because they, they were worshiping Jesus, they were attacked and hurt. And it happens every day all over the world with our brothers and sisters in different places of the world. He said, well, there'll, there'll be a need sometimes to be defensive because of the attack. But that's, that's is a small part. You're talking about three verses of our Bible and some people build a whole militia based upon two verses of the Bible, but it's not what is intended. I think we can see that. Let's continue on, can we please? Now the Bible says in verse number 39, And he came out and went as he was wont, or as he often did, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. So it was his custom to go there to the Mount of Olives when he was in Jerusalem. And that was a place called Gethsemane. It means the wine press, excuse me, it means the, uh, the oil press. And of course, the Garden of Gethsemane had many olive trees, and they would, or they would press the olives there and uh, press toward those, uh, the, the, the oil that would come out of the olive oil and things of that nature. But it was also a place of a garden. It was a place that everyone knew that Jesus went to. He resorted there. He was oftentimes to go there. And of course, Judas would know that's where he would probably be that night. So we see what the Bible tells us, verse 41, 40. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptations. And once again, there are four books of the Bible that speak of this particular event. There's Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, and John. We're looking at Luke's presentation of that and what he was given by the Holy Spirit of God to write us. And he says, he went to the disciples and said, Watch and pray that ye enter not to temptation. Once again, we find he loved us enough to advise and to prepare us for prayer. And he says, I want you to pray because temptation and trouble is in your wake. Let's look, if we can please, at the next verse, verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou wilt be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And uh, being in the agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, not necessarily drops of blood, but it, it was like were drops of blood, 
falling down to the ground. And when he, would, he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And I'm not sure if that was his sorrow or theirs. But we find, first of all, we see the guidance of the Lord. God, God he gave guidance and watch and pray. He gave us, by the way, I wonder how many times I have failed in my life and you have failed because we failed to pray. John Rice was quoted by saying, all failures are prayer failures. One of the things that God gave us in the model prayer is at the end of the prayer, he said, I want you to pray that you enter not into temptation." wonder how many times you and I have faced temptations and have fallen to sin because we failed to ask the Lord and be conscious aware that uh, we don't want to face that. Sometimes I tell the Lord this, and you probably have as well. Lord, I can't handle sin. I can't even handle temptation. I don't want to have sin because it complicates me. It'll complicate my wife, my family, the church family, my friends, the, the cause of Christ. But I can't even handle temptation. Lord, please deliver me from temptation. Here's the guidance of the Lord. Number two, we find the grief of the Lord Jesus Christ. His grief was poured out there as he began to, to anguish and say, God, is there, Father, is there any way that you can, we can do this without being separated from you? I don't think he was nervous about the, the nails going through his hands or his feet or someone stabbing him in the side. I don't think he was necessarily, didn't want, he didn't want the pain, obviously, I think he didn't want the separation from his heavenly father. Just like you and I, we're, we, even if you know you're going to heaven, you're not afraid of dying. You are a little nervous of the transition, unless you're really weird. You're like, I'm not sure how I'm going to go. Am I going to go through a trauma? Am I going to go through an arduous battle with cancer? Am I going to have a heart attack, a stroke, an aneurysm? What's going to happen? How am I going to transition? It makes you a little bit nervous because you've never been separated from your body before. And Jesus didn't want to be separated from his father. He said, Lord, can we let this cup pass from me? But not my will, thine will be done. We see his grief and, and that he cried out in agony, the Bible says. And Luke, a physician, said it, his, his sweat would come off of his head like great drops of blood falling on the ground. Is, uh, the, the, uh, the, the veins and the, the capillaries seems as though they may have been mingled with his sweat as he, as he cried out to the Father. Have you ever heard someone who gets really in uh, maybe lifting weights or doing something or maybe in great anguish? Jesus, no doubt, was that way. But we see his guidance to the disciples. Hey, watch and pray. It's going to get rough. You'll need the Lord's help. We see the grief. We also see the grace of God, even given to his son. Let's look what he says there. The Bible tells us about, about that. Verse number 43, read it with me out loud. Ready? Everyone. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven. God is so grace, great, great and so gracious to us. How many of you have ever been at a time in your life where you just were just overwhelmed with grief or sorrow or sadness and you felt the presence of God upon your person? I, I can reflect on that many times, and I'm sure we could take testimonies. But here his son was at a point of breaking. If he, if he, if he wasn't going to die on the cross, he could have died right there. And yet the Lord sent an angel, a ministering spirit, to comfort him and give him God's supernatural help for this trial that he was going through. And by the way, whatever trial you're going through, God can give you supernatural help. 
whatever, if it's rejection, if it's financial reversal, if it's loneliness, if, it's, if it is uh, an illness, whatever it is you're going through, God is able, he's there, and his grace is available for it. And we see that he was there for his son, and he'll be, where, he'll be there for you. We see the guidance that God gave. We see the grief of his son. We see the grace that God bestowed upon him. Let's continue on, if we can, please. Verse number 44, and, and being in agony... He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat as were the drops of blood falling down to the ground. Verse number 45, and when he arose up from the prayer, was come to the disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. Verse 46, and he said unto them, why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The Bible tells us another passage of scripture in the book of John chapter 18, that he came back and checked on them three times to see if they would join them in prayer. By the way, I do believe just a reminder, if you think little of corporate prayer, I think you need to evaluate this particular passage of Scripture. Listen, we ought to all find a place where we can pray with one another. Maybe it's a husband and wife, but I think it's good to have men. We showed you pictures today of people who came to join. Let me encourage you to come and join in prayer. And, and, and find a place, find a partner to pray together. Jesus, one of the disciples, to pray together with him. Let's continue, if we can, please, verse number 47. And we see the guilt, no doubt, the disciples, Mark 14, Mark, Matthew 26, John 18, all record the difficulties of the disciples falling asleep. And it had been a long day. They'd eaten a Passover meal, and no doubt uh, it, was, it was challenging. Maybe it was for the sorrow, the disappointments, the emotional draining they had, or maybe it was the, the fact that Jesus was so brokenhearted that they didn't have the maturity to stay awake. But there was sorrow here, and there was no doubt guilt in their heart and mind. They would reflect upon this in years to come. Look at verse number 47. And while he was yet spake, behold, the multitude, and he called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And when they which were about him saw that, that uh, what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite him with a sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Of course, that is, we know that is Peter. And he probably wasn't going for his ear. He was going for his neck, but he was an amateur <laughs> and just didn't, didn't have it right. He cuts off a guy named Malchus. He's a servant of the high priest. He's there. They come with, we don't believe, many folks believe there was at least 600 Roman soldiers that came. Through that little gate there at Gethsemane to get Jesus. We find the, the high priest, those folks who are with him, the, 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 not necessarily the high priest, probably Annas and Caiaphas probably were not there, but the people that were sent by them came with the priest. Judas leads them there. They come with lights in the middle of the night. This may be midnight, one o'clock in the morning. They come and to find them, and, and Jesus uh, is approached by Judas. Judas greets him and we would greet each other in the Western Hemisphere with a handshake. In the, in the Eastern Hemisphere, if you were to go to other Muslim countries or other Arabic countries or even Jewish countries, they would kiss on both sides of their cheek. And Judas runs up to Jesus and he kisses Jesus. And Jesus says, you're betraying me with a kiss. He steps back, the soldiers are there with him, and, and the Bible tells us in other passages of scriptures that he said, we're looking for Jesus. And he says, I'm he. And they all fall back on their backside. 
And I can imagine him getting up and thinking, what just happened? He just spoke. And then you see an ear onto the ground, and Jesus tells them, no, this is not the time to fight. Put your sword away. And he fixes the man's ear, picks it up and puts it back on whole. I'm just seeing there's two miracles these unsaved people see. It's no wonder that the centurion would say just a few hours later, truly this was the Son of God. They'd seen enough that day to know even an unsaved Jew, a Roman soldier realized, you know, we weren't just dealing with another man today. And maybe he was there at the garden, I don't know. But he said this, this was not just another man who just died on this cross. We've done this lots of times. This is, this is something special about this one. And for sure they saw that. Let's continue there. And he, we find that he fixed and touched the man's ear, 51, 52. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and the, and the captains of the temple and the elders, they're coming to me. Be you come out as against the chief, uh, as a thief with swords and staves? And uh, the elders had come out there, and, and they said, You guys have come out to me in the middle of the night with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour, and the hour and the power of darkness. He said, This is your hour. He referred to the time. This is, this is your play. This is your narrative. This is your time that you're going to have power. Now, verse 54, Then took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. The other Gospels tell us that uh, whenever they hauled Jesus away, that Peter and John both followed afar off. It seemed like the other disciples may have scattered around, but Peter and John followed. And they took him first into the uh, the, the Annas' house. And Annas was the former high priest. Caiaphas, his son, is the high priest at the time. But they take him in the middle of the night there. If you go to Israel, you'll be able to see where they suppose that to be. But uh, they take him there, and there, of course, they begin to mock him and make fun of him. We'll see that in a few moments. They begin to blindfold him and punch him in the face. And his face begins, they smote him with their fist probably no doubt uh, unaware of the punch coming and hitting the nose and in the eyes and in the cheeks and the lips and begins to face, begins to swell by the multiple punches that he's getting blindfolded. And they're saying, if you're really the son of God, tell me which one of us hit you. And they did that repeatedly as uh, they prepared to take him away. And it seems to me as while they were doing that and they were mocking him and making fun of him that just a few paces away, there was a fire out in the courtyard there in that time of the year. The nights were cold. They would put a fireplace in, and we find that, that Peter followed afar off. By the way, it's always dangerous to follow afar off. You need to really get in or get out. Get up close to where the Lord is. Even in times where it's not very comfortable and not very favorable, there's danger following afar off. And he's around the fire. The Bible tells us, and we'll read the scripture. Let's let the Bible tell us what happened here. We're looking at verse number 54 and uh, verse 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, they're set down together. Peter sat down among them. Verse 56. But a certain maid beheld him and sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man is also with him. And he denied, saying, Woman, I know him not. 
You find him as he's maybe there, woman in his hands. There's a girl who just keeps looking at him, looking again, looking at him and studying him. And she finally says to the people around the fire, he's with, he's with Jesus. And, and Peter says, listen, woman, I don't even know who he is. I don't know exactly all that happened, the emotions of that moment inside of Peter's heart. But we see a next thing happen in verse number 58. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of him of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. Verse 59. And about the space of about an hour, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also is with, was with them. For he is a Galilean. We can tell by his speech. He's a country bumpkin. He's not from here. And Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. Here we find that three times, standing there an hour by the fire, one girl says, hey, I think you're with him. No, I, a woman, I don't even know him. I'm pretty sure you are with him. Man, I know him not. And then an hour later, someone says, no, no, they're right. You are one of his. And, of course, the Bible tells us in another passage of Scripture that he cursed. He said a wrong word and confirmed that he was not with them. They said, your speech betrays you. You're a Galilean. We know that we, we can tell by the way you talk you're with him. And he cursed. And then the Bible says the cock crew. Could you imagine what was going on in his heart? And as that wasn't enough, you can see the next thing that happened that he caught the eyes of the Lord Jesus. I don't know if Jesus was taken away at that moment and bound by his hands. They were going to take him down and make sure that Pilate could see him next, and you can see in chapter 23. But as the cock crew and as his heart became very heavy and guilty, he caught the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at this and make a couple applications, and we'll conclude today. Bible says in verse number 61, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the words of the Lord just hours before, how that he said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him in the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, will you not believe? If I tell you, you will not believe. Excuse me. And if I also ask you, ye will not answer me nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am, for so you say. And they said, What need we any further witness? We ourselves have heard it with his own mouth. As we conclude this chapter this morning, I think we see the great love of God, and that even in looking at the moment of Peter, and by the way, Peter would fail here miserably, but thank God a few days later he would be preaching the gospel of Christ again. 
And Jesus would pursue him. Maybe you are here today, and I, you've been like me. You've messed up. You've fouled up. You've, you've sinned against God. Maybe you did a real humdinger, or maybe you just know, you know, in your private world, you struggle with the God of heaven and with the Lord Jesus Christ and your faithfulness to him. I'm telling you, he's, the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. I'd like to encourage you to make a connection with the Lord Jesus this morning. Maybe you need to weep bitterly. Maybe you need to get real serious with God. By the way, you're going to come to God one of two ways when you're in trouble. With blessings or with blisters. And you come with blessings when you come to Him. Don't, don't let Him have to catch you in your sin. I found this out years ago when my mother started spanking me. And I found out if I got closer to mom, it didn't hurt as bad. The farther away I got from mom, she had much more leverage to make it hurt. So I just scoot up against her real quick, and she's like this right here, and it's just, ow, 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 ow. That's a silly illustration. But you know, the truth of the matter is, when you're wrong, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come with your sin. Come with your mistake. Get close to him. Don't get away from him. And come and receive the blessings of his forgiveness. Instead of having to run away from him and find the consequences of the blisters of our sin. I believe that's something we can learn from this passage of scripture and a whole lot.